0: Good evening. Do you believe that every single word on every single page of Scripture will be fulfilled, every promise will be fulfilled by God in his own timing? Do you believe Every single word, every promise will be fulfilled in God's timing. We rarely can say yes. Sometimes you catch us on a good day, we can say yes. But a lot of times we do not believe this. We live in a world with unexpected health scans, job losses, Unmet expectations. People, us, overwhelmed, overworked. Discontent. Hard to believe that God is faithful when what you expect to happen doesn't happen. Yet it is in the crucible. This crucible called life where all your expectations are rarely met, with all the twists and turns and roundabouts, this is where you and I are called to believe that God is faithful. Things are coming in the coming days, coming years that don't match what you expected life to be. And your heart will scream God, at." your heart will will scream, God, move, and he won't. Not at that time. It has happened, it has happened probably to many of you. Wanting God to move and he does it. So I ask again, do you believe that God is faithful to fulfill every promise on every page of scripture. As we continue our sermon series on the book of Joshua, we will learn about God's faithfulness. Pastor Frank showed us last week that the entire book of Joshua is about God and his faithfulness. Tonight, as we approach verses 10 through 18, I have been praying and asking God to give us in this room who are watching online rock-solid confidence that God will fulfill every promise he has made to his people. Not just an intellectual understanding of God's faithfulness, but one that in the heart of hearts says, God, I believe you will come through for me. That even if we are in a circumstance where it's not happening, we don't see any way out. God's timing doesn't match ours. We can say, once we've made it through, it's better late than never. Join me in prayer. Father, we are weak. You are strong. You are faithful. Even when we are faithless. You keep your promises. Lord Jesus, we need renewal. We need empowerment. Instill in us unwavering confidence in you and in your faithfulness. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. If you have your Bibles, we'll be reading Joshua chapter 1, verses 10 through 18. So Joshua ordered the officers of the people go through the camp and tell the people, get your supplies ready. Three days from now, you will cross the Jordan here to go in and take possession of the land that the Lord your God is giving you for your own. But to the Reubenites, the Gadites, and the half-tribe of Manasseh, Joshua said, Remember the command that Moses, the servant of the Lord, gave you. The Lord your God is giving you rest and has granted you this land, your wives, Your children and your livestock may stay in the land that Moses gave you east of the Jordan, but all your fighting men, fully armed, must cross over ahead of your brothers. You are to help your brothers until the Lord gives them rest as he has done for you, until they too have taken possession of the land that the Lord your God is giving them. After that, you may go back and occupy your land, which Moses, the servant of the Lord, gave you east of the Jordan toward the sunrise. Then they answered Joshua, whatever you have commanded us, we will do. Wherever you send us, we will go. Just as we fully obeyed Moses, so we will obey you. Only may the Lord your God be with you as he was with Moses. Whoever rebels against your word and does not obey your words, whatever you may command them, whatever you may command them, will be put to death. Only be strong and courageous. My, my mother has a deep love, appreciation and concern for her family. She has instilled this in me, a deep love and appreciation for family. I remember being younger when my mom would take my brother and me to visit my grandmother. Her name is Munya. Her name, um, my dear grandmother. My mom would take us and we would sit down and just talk with her. And my mom knew just the right question to ask. She would toss this question, and my, mom, my grandmother would swing for the fences. And what would happen was it's almost like a teleport. We would go from sitting in my grandmother's living room and be teleported into my grandmother's history classroom. I'm like, where did this happen? And guess what? In that classroom, my grandmother would be teaching us about family history, teaching us about her life growing up, teaching us about her family. And as we would go home, I remember it so vividly, my my mom would be interpreting these stories that were retold. This is exactly what we have here in the book of Joshua, a retelling of stories But just as my mom would take these stories that my grandmother was sharing with us and she would interpret them for us and shed light on how what happened to her in the past, how they shed light on how we are to live in the present. This is exactly what we have as well in the book of Joshua. A story retold in such a way that it might shed light on how the Israelites might live in the present time. Now we, church family as the renewed Israel. Their history is our history. So as we read Joshua, we are reading family history, family spiritual history. And what we have to ask ourselves is this. What, as this story is being retold, what light is this shedding on how God deals with us as his people? We have to ask that question. What light does Joshua 1, verses 10 through 18, what does it shed on us about how God deals with us? The text before us, these verses, are a section about preparation. About preparation for a new beginning in the history of Israel. This leads me to the biblical concept that I just want to drop before you. And it's this, with God in the driver's seat, we must always, we must always be prepared for new beginnings. With God in the driver's seat, we have got to be on our toes ready for a new beginning. So even if promises God has made to you in scripture have yet to be fulfilled, you can have confidence because God is in the driver's seat. You need to prepare. God's faithfulness is that sure. So as God is in the business of fulfilling promises, we must be in the business of preparing. Preparing. Why do I say that? Why do I say this? First, we learn from the text that God positions us to experience his faithfulness and to walk in new beginnings. God positions us for that. Secondly, God not only positions us, but he prepares us to walk in his faithfulness and in those new beginnings. And lastly, God ensures us that his presence will fulfill the promises that he has made. So, First things first, we must be prepared because God positions us to experience his faithfulness. Listen, every circumstance you have been, you will be in, and the circumstances God has you in right now is meant to position you to see his faithfulness. God has you where you are right now, whether good or bad or somewhere in between so that you might see his faithfulness. Every promise God has made to his people and to you, he will fulfill. Yet, at the very same time, your life, God is orchestrating and moving things in your life in such a way so that you will be positioned not to miss it. So that when it happens, you can say, There it is. I see God's faithfulness. He's moving things in your life for that very reason. Look with me at verse 10. Joshua simply tells the officers, get your supplies ready. In three days, we're crossing the Jordan to go in and take possession of the land that the Lord your God is giving you as your own. The Israelites are primed and positioned to see God's faithfulness. They are positioned for new beginnings just over the horizon. We can't take where they are for granted. We know back in Genesis God uttered this promise in the ear of Abraham. I am going to give you land. That promise was whispered in the ear of Abraham, And Abraham never saw it. Neither did his kids or grandkids. Next thing you know, his lineage, they are oppressed and under the strong hand of Pharaoh. Talk about a long way from having your own land. That was the last thing that was probably on their mind. They just wanted the haystack off their back from all this land of oppression and slavery. Forget land. God, by his grace, draws them out. The first generation, because of disobedience, failed to inherit the promised land that was promised to them. And now the second generation, before the Jordan, are positioned to finally see the promise that God had made so many years ago. They are positioned to see God's faithfulness. And it was through all of what happened in the book of Genesis. In Exodus, infertility, unjust punishment, oppression, slavery, disobedience in the wood. All this stuff happened. And God orchestrated it so that at this decisive moment in the history of Israel, they were positioned to see his faithfulness. August 21st, 2017. It's a day some of you might, under, might remember as you hear that date. Others will know quickly what I'm talking about as I read what was on a website from astronomy.com. On August 21st, 2017, darkness will sweep across the land. Far from an ill omen, these two minutes will offer Americans an astronomical gift like no other, a total solar eclipse. The moon's shadow will race across the continental United States from Oregon all the way to South Carolina, earning this the nickname, the Great American Eclipse. You will want to be prepared for this. And I remember I was at Western Carolina, I was married. We were making sure we had our glasses in our pocket, we were outside the door. We wanted to make sure we were positioned to see the eclipse. We walk out on the front lawn of the university and hundreds of students, glasses on their face, positioned to see the great American eclipse. Because they did not want to miss it. God, rather than leaving it up to you to position yourself to see his faithfulness, he positions us, you and me, so that we might see it clear as day. And instead of a two-minute eclipse, we can look back over a lifetime and say, God is faithful. He positions us to see it. Isn't this the story of your life? Isn't this the pattern of your life? Twists, turns, roundabouts, things you weren't expecting. And all of a sudden, you see it clear as day, God's faithfulness in your night, in your life. He is positioning you to see his faithfulness, positioning you to see new beginnings on the horizon. But God is not just positioning you to see his faithfulness. He also prepares you. This is why we ourselves must be prepared. Because God in his grace is preparing us so that we can walk in that. God just doesn't position you in the right spot and then leave you hanging. He not only positions, but he also Prepares us. And here we have the delicate dance of God's almighty hand, His power, His sovereignty, dancing with our obedience, our willingness. It is here that we see that dance. Look with me. Verses 10 and 12, 10 through 12, and then 12 through 15. 10 and 11, 12 through 15. Here you have God preparing His people through Joshua, and Joshua through the officers uh, of the people. He tells them first in verses 10 through 11, get your supplies ready, get prepared, make ready rations. Now, I don't want you to think, okay, we're about to go across the Jordan River, so prepare some military weaponry. No, 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 don't hear that. These supplies are food rations. Get some grub ready for the journey. Is what Joshua is telling the Israelites. Get prepared to go over and take what has already been given to you. Now, as an Israelite, that should have been, caused them to scratch their head and be like, uh, are we prepared for this? Because you know, word on the street, people on the other side of the Jordan, they had a reputation. Look at what Deuteronomy says, that the people on the other side of the Jordan, they are greater than you. Stronger than you. They got large cities walled up to the sky. Strong, tall. Rumor has it no one can stand before them. No one. Yet all Joshua says is, go get some food prepared. We're about to go take this. Verse 12 through 15, Joshua Tells first, get the rations. Then he goes to these eastern tribes. So there are 12 tribes. Two and a half of those tribes got land east of the Jordan. They got their land before crossing it. They got theirs. And he tells them, I'm going to summarize it. He says, I know you already have yours, but these are your brothers. These are your kinfolk. You have to be concerned about getting their possession. So leave your wives, leave your cattle, leave your kids, and you walk over ahead of your brothers until the Lord gives them rest. He says, You cross over ahead of your brothers and you stay there and you help them until every, every, every Israelite has what God has promised them. Joshua was in the business of uniting Israel for a common purpose. In this issue, boy, does this issue of unity hit home right now. Unity has always been an issue in the church, and right now this issue seems to be at the height, at least in my 32 years of living. It seems like there has not been a more tense time of church disunity, coming off a political season, coming off a tough summer of racial strife, but this isn't new. First century churches were dealing with this. The issue has never been that God's church isn't diverse. God's church is diverse. Don't miss that. God's church is diverse. In the first century, there were Jews, there were Gentiles. In the 21st century, God's church still is diverse. People of all races, all nations, all ethnicities spanning from the U.S. to Latin America to Africa. God's people span the globe. God's church is diverse. Rich people, poor people, formerly educated people. Non formally educated people. God's church is diverse. People who live in huts, people who live in mansions, God's church is diverse. The problem hasn't been diversity, the problem has always been and still is unity. That has been the issue. And the issue has to be brought to the forefront just as Joshua did. And we, as the church locally, we as the church, as a part of the global church, have got to ask the question, have got to ask the question, will we engage each other over the issue of unity? Will God's church unite for a common purpose, for the common good of all people? And this unity must happen out, as the text says, from a deep love for the brother. One who is agitated until my brother gets what's his. We're not, now, we're not even talking about the world right now. We're talking about within the house of God. I, my heart, was so excited to see brothers and sisters up here. They are part of the family now. And what that means... It's not, this is not a show. What that means is they have been dropped into our family, and now I can't sit still until they experience Jesus, until they experience God's faithfulness. The problem of unity is not just outside of these walls, they are in this very church. And we have to ask the question. This isn't new. This is what the church has always dealt with. Uh, Pastor Mike has been preaching through Ephesians 4. And in the very beginning, it talks about make every effort. The issue is unity. Will we fight for not a superficial unity, but a real unity that discusses things that might make you squirm a little bit, things that or you're not supposed to, the thing, the very things that usually divide us are the things that make you uncomfortable. But, as one good friend says, pastor here, conflict, the lack of conflict does not mean unity. And usually, when we're fighting for a common purpose, a common good, There could be conflict, but that is how we prepare. That is how God prepares us. That's how we fight for the common good, for a common purpose. So my question is, are we prepared to see God work? As God is preparing us, are we willing to engage in those unifying but awkward conversations for the sake of kingdom advancement, for the sake of a common purpose, God's kingdom advancing, in the sake of all the brothers and sisters in Christ. We must be prepared because God ensures us. He tells us he is positioning us. But lastly, we must be prepared because God gives us his presence as a seal that his promise will be fulfilled. Look at this, verses 16 through 18. The people respond. How do they respond? Wholeheartedly. They basically say, I'm going to break this down in layman's terms. Joshua, we have your back. Anywhere you go, I'm going. We have your back. All the people say it this. Whatever you command us, we will do. Wherever you send us, we're going to go. Now, if this was a story about how to empower a leader, boy, that would preach. That would preach. But this is not about leadership. This is about God's faithfulness. Listen to what he says in verse 17. Only, only may the Lord your God be with you as he was with Moses. I think we missed something here. When they give a hearty, we got your back. I think they mistold the history. I don't remember the Israelites obeying Moses 24-7, seven days a week. I don't remember that. They didn't. I don't remember that. Maybe I I misread it, but I'm pretty sure they were called stiff-necked people. Maybe I'll go back and read it, but they were like, we will obey you just as we obeyed Moses. And I hope Joshua was like, all right, got to be more to this story than this. And there is. Only the Lord your God will be with you. The fulfillment of the promise of the land that was made to Abraham is not predicated on the promises made by people, but by God's faithfulness and presence. God's presence, not people's promises, allow Joshua to be strong and courageous. God's presence, not people, will ensure the promise will be fulfilled. How many of us are like the well-intentioned Israelites? How many of us are like, Jesus, wherever you send me, I'm willing to go? How many of us are like that? How many of us who, after struggling with some specific sin and we've fallen into it, are like, God, I promise I will never do it again yet to only find yourself struggling with the same thing. How many of us have said, God, I am willing to forsake everything that your kingdom might go forth? How many of us have said that? And at the end of the day, at the end of the week, we rarely meet these arbitrary standards we set for ourselves. We rarely meet the standards the standards that we're putting before us, and all we are are depleted, tired, and worn out by the weekly grind of life. We are working, parenting, going to school, picking up groceries, cleaning the house. And then at the end of the week, we look and realize nothing groundbreaking. I have done nothing really that groundbreaking. We are not the people who live up to all these big promises we make. We are people who break promises and need new mercies. Each week, this is why we engage in corporate worship. This is why we are here. This is why we sing those songs. This is why we hear God's word preached to us because as each week ends, we realize we're not quite as great. We don't keep those promises we have made at the beginning of the week. And at the end of the week, we need to be reminded that at the foot of the cross, we find mercy. That's why we come to corporate worship. It is not because it's a checklist. It's because in this sanctuary, you are reminded, even though you don't meet the standard, even though you don't keep your promises, God in his grace has saved you. And you can find mercy at the foot of the cross. And it reminds you that this kingdom that is going forth, God is going to do it. That's why we engage in corporate worship. So I urge you, as people who's genuinely, genuinely want to advance God's kingdom, fight sin, but at the same time are only partially redeemed, who don't meet up to snuff. We don't hit the standard. Be here and be reminded that God is the one who keeps his promises. And I'll tell you this, in corporate worship, our eyes are lifted up to a resurrected Savior. Our souls worship a resurrected king, not simply a good leader. All that God did through Joshua was simply getting our eyes prepared to see the resurrected Savior. God's faithfulness comes to a climax. It comes to a climax at the cross it comes to the, at a climax in the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. The story of preparation that we've just read is a story that is not preparing us to see Joshua. It is preparing us to see Jesus. This story of preparation is ultimately about Jesus and your eyes getting prepared to see him. So where Joshua Where Joshua obeys the word, Jesus himself, he is the word. Where Moses delivered God's people out of bondage and Joshua brought them into the promised land, Jesus delivered us from sin and takes us to our eternal promised land. Where Joshua brings the people into a land that will one day be stripped because of disobedience, Jesus takes us, and gives us an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and cannot be snatched from you or me. Where Joshua orders the people to prepare by making ready the rations, Jesus prepares us by clothing us in righteousness. Where Joshua leads the people, Jesus dies for the people. Where Joshua, check this out, where Joshua, at the end of the book of Joshua, dies and is buried. Jesus himself lives, dies, takes a brief pause for three days, pops back up, and now is seated on high where he can give out new beginnings left and right. This is who we come to worship. This, the entire story, this story of preparation is pointing to King Jesus That's what it's doing. Jesus leads us into being a new creation. 2 Corinthians 5, 17. If anyone is in Christ, he is a what? He is a what? A new creation. And a new creation knows at the end of the day, the words that will one day cross our lips, even even though things don't look right right now. We will one day be able to say it's better late than never because God will come through on every promise. So I ask you again, church, do you believe that every promise found on every page of Scripture will one day be fulfilled? This story says you should, but the empty cross The vacant tomb says even louder, yes, God will come through for his people. So God will keep his promises, if not today in your life, tomorrow, if not tomorrow, sometime in the future. But either way, we're going to be able to say, better late than never. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for your grace towards us. Thank you so much for Jesus. We thank you for Jesus, his life, his death, his resurrection, how he has made us a new creation in Christ. Transform us into your image, I pray. Amen.